In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to the Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Welcome back to the show. This is The Real Jason Duncan, and I have a special treat for you today. Today's episode is a recording of a recent Entrepreneur Master Series live webinar that I conducted with a very special guest. This special edition of The Root of All Success won't replace the regularly scheduled episodes, so don't worry, I'm just going to release these a little bit off schedule. I want to occasionally release these recordings of the Entrepreneur Master Series live webinars when I feel like that you would receive tremendous value from the webinar that I conducted. You can watch the entire replay of the webinar on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the real Jason Duncan. I'll give you more info at the end of the episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Master Series. I am the real Jason Duncan. I'm really glad that you have decided to log in and join us live today for this June the 7th, 2022 episode of the Entrepreneur Master Series. By way of introduction, I want to tell you a little bit about what this series is, and then uh, in just a moment, we'll introduce our guests for today's episode. The Entrepreneur Master Series, or otherwise known as EMS, with me, the real Jason Duncan, is a 90-minute live webinar series designed and curated to bring high-value content that's practical and that's tactical for today's successful entrepreneurs. I regularly bring in a top expert in different, uh, different topics different uh, areas of interest related to entrepreneurship or leadership or sales or even financial literacy, as we're going to be talking about today. This is supposed to be a masterclass on specific topics that relate specifically to you as you grow and build an entrepreneurial company. And each episode is conducted here live on Zoom and is live streamed sometimes on Facebook and LinkedIn. We're not going to live stream today. We had a little bit of technical problems with that, so we're not going to live stream and then later, this episode will be put out on my YouTube channel. So you can go to youtube.com slash the real Jason Duncan, and you can find an entire playlist of all the past episodes of the Entrepreneur Master Series. Uh, each episode is also, this is a special announcement, new announcement is going to be released as a special episode on the Root of All Success podcast, which is a podcast I host. Uh, it's internationally syndicated by the C-Suite Radio Network, and I interview very successful entrepreneurs. And today's guest actually was a was one of my guests on the uh, podcast last year. So um, this is going to be great because we're going to take this episode of the Entrepreneur Master Series and push it out as a special edition of the Root of All Success. So if you haven't subscribed or, or looked at or listened to the Root of All Success podcast, you really ought to go take a look at that too. So let me stop sharing the screen and introduce today's guest and talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing today. Today's guest is Jason Weiss. Uh, so there's two Jasons. <clears throat> it's a lot to handle in one show today, but two Jasons. Jason Weiss, he's the managing partner of Symphony Wealth, also the founder of a company called Symphony Advice. He is considered one of the most successful wealth advisors and money guys in the nation. 
His focus on wealth protection for high net worth entrepreneurs and executives is uh, is really, really top notch. His understanding of how life insurance plays a role in that protection of growth and that growing and accumulation of wealth is actually second to none. He's the founder, as I said, of Symphony Wealth and Symphony Advice. They have offices in California and Tennessee. He resides in the Nashville, Tennessee area with his wife and three lovely children. You know what, Jason? I, I, I've met your wife, of course, but I've never... Never met any of your kids, but um, but maybe one day we'll we'll make that happen. But Jason is joining us from the road today in uh, Mud something. What would you say? Where are you? Mud. I, I believe it's Mudville, Kentucky. I believe. <laughs> I'm not certain, but that's the exit that I took. So Mudville, Kentucky, which is uh, interesting because we were joking pre-show that uh, Jason's a former MLB, uh, uh, player pitcher. And, uh, and so I'm like, this is where you should definitely play baseball in Mudville, Kentucky, any place called Mudville definitely needs to have somebody playing, playing baseball. But, but, uh, Jason's background is pretty interesting. He's, uh, been an attorney. Uh, he's been, uh, worked a lot in the court systems in California has been the office of the governor in the state of California, uh, United States Department of Justice Office of the United States Attorney in the Civil Litigation Department. Um, he's got a, a Juris Doctorate from George School of Law, graduated with honors and distinction, and University of Oklahoma has a Bachelor's of Arts there in Business Marketing and Sales, graduated with honors there. So he pitched for the Colorado Rockies, and uh, today, and, and what he's been doing for most of his career has been what I announced in his introduction just a moment ago, is helping high net worth individuals grow and protect their wealth. So Jason, thank you for being here, man. I'm really honored to uh, talk to you again as a, as a friend and colleague and uh, vendor, <laughs> all those things for me. So thank you very much. No, it's great to be here, Jason. Always, uh, always love to be on your shows and uh, uh, yeah, excited to dive into this today. So the topic for today uh, is how to get uh, infinite compounding interest on your money with life insurance. And so I would imagine that the people watching either live today or people who are watching this later have an interest in that. And they, maybe they've heard about how you can use life insurance to protect wealth, um, not just to pay your family uh, upon your uh, un, your demise. I mean, it's it's something it's called life insurance. After all, you should be using it while you're alive. And I, th I think people don't really understand how that works. And I'd like to kind of give a brief introduction or, or story about how you and I were introduced, if, if I may, and then maybe I'll, I'll start the questions. And by the way, everybody in the chat box, if you want to look at your chat box, there is an instructions on how to ask questions today. So there's a little Q&A bubble at the bottom of your Zoom screen. If you just hit that Q&A bubble, you can ask a question. Uh, Jason and I will make sure that we answer those live here in the show. We want it to be interactive. We want you to be able to ask. And you don't have to come on camera. You don't have to go on microphone. All you gotta do is type in the uh, in the Q and A bubble there, and we'll answer the questions for you. But but uh, Jason and I met through a networking organization here in the Nashville, Tennessee area, probably uh, six years ago, seven years. Ago. I don't know. It's been a while, and uh, we were sitting at the same table. We didn't know one another, and he gave me his card, and it said Symphony uh, Symphony, either Symphony Advice or Symphony Wealth on it, and all I saw was Symphony. And uh, I knew that the symphony, the National Symphony, had been were members of that same organization. I said, oh, so you're with the symphony. He goes, no, 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 no. Different symphony. <laughs> and uh, we hit it off at breakfast that morning and ended up getting a cup of coffee um, a week or two later just to kind of get to know each other as people do in the business world. But what he didn't know at the time is I was deeply studying 
the concept of whole life insurance, the infinite banking concept, bank on yourself, any of these things that you may or may not have heard about. And, and so Jason, this is kind of what he specializes in, but he was, uh, I, I would say coy and how he, <laughs> how he let me know that he did it. So we met two or three times before I realized like, oh, so this is what you're talking about, right? You're talking about doing this with whole life insurance. And you, he was like, yes. I was like, okay, sign me up. And so, <laughs> so we, we've been doing that now, uh, for a while and it is phenomenal. So Jason, um, why do most people think that whole life insurance is bad and we shouldn't use it at all? Because that's really the tool, one of the tools we're using here in this process of protecting and growing your wealth. Well, go back and tell a, a quick story. This is many years ago when I was a young attorney. Um, I was putting together, and this is kind of how my introduction to insurance will say, is I was putting together an operating agreement and inside the operating agreement was some language for buy sells. In other words, if one partner Something happens to one partner or the other, the other partner gets insurance and it pays for the shares. And that's just some buy, standard buy-sell language within an operating agreement. And again, I knew nothing about life insurance. I wasn't married at the time. I had no kids at the time. I, I literally knew nothing about insurance other than it was needed for this contract. So I said to the insurance agent in the room, I said, I asked him just, just a very simple question. Just I, I don't remember the question to this exactly today, but a simple insurance about, about insurance because I didn't really understand any of it. Uh, and he, he kind of answered me cavalierly. And I thought about his answer. And then that night I went, um, I went online. I was going to say I Googled it, but there was no Google at the time, AOL.com. And, um, and I Googled, or AOL, I guess, his answer. And his answer was completely wrong. And that kind of scared me in the moment because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm putting together this contract adding this stuff into the contract and I have no idea what I'm adding into the contract. So I thought to myself, I better, I better figure what I'm putting into this contract. I better understand this insurance or maybe I'm committing legal malpractice. Like if I don't know what's going on, like I'm kind of, I'm, I always got a little worried about that. And like I always tell people to this day, I wish I was putting gold or real estate into the deal, but it happened to be life insurance. So I said, okay, I'm going to study life insurance, not to ever sell it or do anything, but to understand what I was putting into my contract. So it took me on this journey of life insurance. Again, never sell it or buy it, but just to figure out what I'm putting into my contract. And over the course of time, I found out three really important things. Um, one of them is this. One is there's a lot of people that sell insurance, a lot of people, and they don't even really understand the product they're selling. And you know, I'm, I'm sure that's surprise, surprise for many of you folks, but it's your know, people, I say, well, he's been selling this for 20 years. Well, it doesn't tell me he's an expert. It, tell me, it tells me he's old, but it tells me that person's an expert. And my point is there's a lot of people that are selling it and they don't even really understand what they're selling. And then the second thing I learned over my investigation, this product is, it was very polarizing to your point, Jason, which is there's some people that absolutely hated life insurance, hated the thought of it, the notion, hated everything about it, just hated it. And then there were some people I met that loved it. It's like, well, this is super interesting. Again, as a late 20 year, like, you know, our, our laptops, you may not like it, but you don't hate it. Like there's very few things that elicit hate in somebody, but life insurance, life insurance does that. And then there's also people that love it. I was like, this is the most bizarre thing ever. You love it, ink and hate it. And it's the same product. But okay. And then I found out the third thing, which is kind of the synthesis of those first two, which is generally speaking, most people buy the car they drive better than life insurance. What do I mean by that? If you needed a car today, if you all needed a car today, 
Would it make sense just blindly walking into the Ford dealership and saying, oh, give me a car. I need a car today. No, you, you might pick a Ford, but you might pick a Chevy or Mercedes, a Lexus. You, there are different manufacturers out there. Similarly, in life insurance, guess what? There's a bunch of different carriers that do different things. Okay, you're a Ford guy. You go in there. But then your next question is, what chassis do I need? Do I need an SUV? Do I need a pickup truck? Do I need a sedan? There's a different chassis again with every single car manufacturer. Similarly, in life insurance, there's all these carriers, but there's different products that go with different carriers. Okay, so finally, you're a Ford guy. You want the F-150. What's the last question you're going to ask? You're going to say, how am I going to pay for this Ford F-150? Am I going to finance it? Lease it? Pay all cash? How am I going to buy it? So I always ask people, if you didn't buy your life insurance carriers, products, and then funding options, you bought the car you drive better. And the way I kind of end that analogy is this, is I used to live in Northern California, and there's this kind of famous Highway 1 that takes you from down south all the way along the coast, all the way to Northern California. Beautiful drive. And if I said to you, hey, I took that drive, but that was a terrible drive, you'd say, gosh, what's wrong with this guy? It's a beautiful drive. Why did you hate it so much, Jason? But then you found out I was, I was driving into this gas-guzzling truck that got like four miles to the gallon. You just said, okay, Jason. You didn't. It's not the drive that's bad. You just bought the wrong car for the drive. So I always tell people to your first question, Jason, why do some people hate life insurance? It's because they didn't buy the right type. It's not that the, the insurance is bad. It's just they bought the wrong type for their purposes. So it's a polarizing product, but if bought correctly, it could be one of those people that say, I love what I have. Yeah, it, I, I love that analogy. And that's what, what I always like about you too. You're really good at, at, at telling stories and bringing in great analogies. And I think remember, I remember the one of the first times we met, you were talking about this. Hey, if you had this piece of piece of real estate or you had this money, you know what? Anyway, I won't, I won't steal your story, but I remember that story well and how you, how you illustrated things. I think to answer my own question, one of the reasons I think that people don't like it is that uh, if we're really honest, there are some major personalities in the wealth or finance game, uh, advice game, who who are speaking trash about whole life insurance. Dave Ramsey being one of them, Susie Orman, there's other people like it. And uh, certainly they are very smart and well-informed people, but that doesn't mean they know everything about everything and they're not licensed to sell it. So they don't really have a qualified uh, opinion on whether you should or shouldn't, in my opinion. So I think I grew up in the Dave Ramsey era, listening to him uh, back when he did the money game with uh, Roy Matlock and then, then went out on his own changed. And I was always against whole life. I always thought, hey, that that's you should and buy term and invest the difference. That's what everybody says, or at least that's what everybody who's been influenced by Dave Ramsey would say. But when I became an entrepreneur and I started making more money than I'd ever made before, and I think about money differently now, um, it's a like I, there's a protection issue from a- asset protection, wealth protection, tax protection. And so I heard a podcast um, it was called the Laura Murphy report, which I'll give a plug for those guys. It's L A R a hyphen Murphy at M U R P H Y. Um, the Laura Murphy report. If you go look those guys up, one of them lives here in Nashville and another guy lives in Austin and they have this whole finance podcast dedicated to different ways of thinking about, uh, uh, about money, about finance. And they were talking about life insurance and it, and they started talking about whole life insurance. And I immediately, like my ears perked up, like, why are they talking good about it? Because they must be dumb. And as they started talking and I listened, it really opened my eyes up. 
to a whole new world of how you can grow wealth. So let's do this. I know this is a big question, Jason, but how in a nutshell and, and you know, whatever that might mean, but how do you use whole life insurance to grow wealth? Because it's not technically an investment tool by itself, but how do you use it to grow wealth? Um, life insurance has several different components. Um, there's awfully, obviously the insurance piece of it, which provides some sort of a death benefit should something happen to the insured, which is a wealth transfer system. But I don't think that's what you're asking, but that in and of itself is a very important thing. What you're asking is kind of the, the cash value or appreciation of whole life insurance. And for those people that don't know, there's what's called term life insurance and there's whole life insurance. Term is as kind of the, 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 the name connotates it's for a term it's like renting an asset and i guess my analogy for many of you and i will address your question just one second jason but i guess the analogy for many of you listening would be this if i said hey my wife and our three kids we're going to move to whatever city you're located we're going to move to st louis and i'm going to go to st louis missouri and my wife and our three kids we're going to stay in st louis for two months two months and then i'm coming back to nashville and i said to, to you guys should I rent or buy a house for those two months? You'd say, well, it's just two months, Jason. Yeah, I know real estate's going up. It's only just two months. The commissions, the selling it, just doesn't make sense. Just rent something for two months. Okay. What if I said, I'm going to move to St. Louis and I'm going to move there for 20 years. We're going to put roots down. I'm going to live there for 20 years. Should I rent for the next 20 or buy for the next 20? Many of you would probably say buy. And I guess that my same answer is so insurance. At some point in time, you just don't need to rent it anymore. You should own the asset. Now, that doesn't mean just showing up anywhere in St. Louis, Missouri and buying the first house I see. Again, goes back to my previous analogy, which is you got to buy the right product. But at some point in time, owning an asset is better than renting the asset. Now, that's kind of a categorical thing. And I want to kind of finish up our, our, the last discussion. But in kind of the wealth building, that kind of space in whole life insurance, there's three components. There's the premium or deposit that's put in that you pay. There's the cash value inside the product. And then there's the death benefit. Jason, what you're alluding to a lot of time is the cash value buildup in a product. And I kind of go back to kind of something I've never really shared with you, Jason. But what is the five traits? If you could put down five traits of the best place to store cash, the what would be the five traits, the best place? You would say well, I'd store cash. I'd like some sort of ROI on the cash. That'd be a good trait to have. Um, but I want it to be super liquid. It's cash. I, I don't want it tied up. That'd be a good trait to have. Uh, number three would be, gosh, if I could get some tax efficiencies with this bucket of money, that'd be really good. You know, four might be, gosh, you know, I need it to, you know, I want it to be easy to get to. And then maybe you want something that has minimum risk, you know, that kind of thing. So if you look at those five traits, and again, I'll write those out. Maybe you've got them written down, Jason. Yep. You kind of say, okay, great. Let's look at the various things that I have available. Let's just look at the marketplace. Okay, uh, real estate. Okay, well, not real liquid. Not real liquid. Can't store cash there. Great for an ROI. Bad to store. Not So not real liquid. Um, the stock market. Great. It's liquid. Not really that tax efficient. I might have a gain. I might pay taxes on that. Plus, there's significant risk there. The bank account. Awesome. Terrible ROI, highly, highly liquid. So let's now go back to life insurance. And, I, and I'm kind of jumping midstream here. I'm hoping some of you have some sort of fundamental education, but let's look at cash value life insurance. A, it generally produces some sort of dividend. So it's, it has a return of investment, has some sort of ROI. 
It's a highly liquid asset, meaning I can get to the cash at any time. It is tax-free. It's a tax-free bucket of money if properly structured. It has ease of distribution, comes out as a wire transfer, has minimum risk, and is highly flexible. So my point kind of a lot of you is if you're holding cash, you're doing things very investments, at the end of the day, where do you put your cash? And it's by proxy of eliminating all the other places you could go, the very best place to house it. So to recap those five uh, traits of where the best place to store money, and for those of you that are watching this, you might want to take notes. <clears throat> you want a good return on investment. You want it to be liquid. You want it to be uh, have tax advantages or tax efficiencies. Number four, you want it to be easy to get to. And then number five, low risk. So what Jason is proposing and telling us here in this, in this episode of Entrepreneur Master Series today is that life insurance, if properly structured, does all five of those things where real estates, crypto, stocks, uh, gold, any of that other stuff might hit pieces of those five, but don't hit all five of those. So life insurance being able to do that is that the concoction of life insurance salespeople who figured out like this, let's design a product that does it, or has it always done it and we're just now taking advantage of it? I'm assuming you haven't met many people that sell life insurance. It would definitely <laughs> not be those people. Um, it, it's actually always been there. It actually has always been there. But let me ask you a question. Let's take, let's pick on the 401k just for a minute, 401k. You give me money in a 401k and I hold it for 30 years whenever you turn 65. And guess who ultimately gets paid out of that thing? The advisor, because he's now held your money for 30 years. The government, because now they've got that 401k, when you distribute out of it, they get their whatever gain on that. So who's really one in a 401k? Have you? Maybe. But who's really one? An advisor and the government. So let's get back to the life insurance. Is Life insurance, as some people know, is a commission-based product. But at some point in time, that falls off. There is nothing. So at some point in time, the agent has no money into it. It's now a tax-free bucket of product. So the government has, doesn't have a lot of interest in it. Point being is, it's always been there, but it's got so many competitors to it because people want their money in the form of taxes, fees, and everything else. So with whole life insurance, there's certainly lots of different ways. There's whole, there's just, there's dividend paying whole life insurance. Uh, there's mutual life insurance companies. There's variable universal. There's universal. Like what, what's the general difference between all those? And from a, if you're just teaching us about what those are, what's the general differences? Okay. A high level here. So just generally, so, and we can drill down any of them as you want. There's three life insurance buckets in the world. Uh, I don't care. What the name is, where you've heard it, it only fits into one of three buckets. One bucket is term, that is renting insurance. The second bucket is whole life insurance. And then the third bucket is, we'll just call it variable insurance. And that can be an index product, a universal product. I mean, I'm just, there's a lot of terms for this index UL, universal life, variable life. Anything that doesn't say whole life fits into that third bucket. So let's dive into that third bucket, that variable bucket for a minute. Because most people think it is, it sounds great. It's, I get insurance, but I also get market returns. This could be the best of both worlds. I get in the investment and I get insurance. This could be great. Well, let's kind of split those apart and kind of dive, just kind of dive deep into both of them. So let's just say we're going to pull the insurance away and we're going to pull the investments out of them. And if I said to you, all right, Jason, we're going to, you and me are going to go invest in 
Tesla stock. You and me are going to invest in Tesla stock right now. But we have two ways of doing it. Which one makes the most sense? We're going to make an investment in Tesla. One, we could go right to Tesla and make an investment. Or the second option is, I got a great idea. Let's all buy a life insurance policy and somehow through the policy buy Tesla stock. Which one makes more sense to buy Tesla stock? Obviously, to just go direct. So my point in all these people is, if you're going to make an investment, invest. No need to buy some of the wrapper to go invest money. Now, let's think about the insurance portion of it. Um, let's just say we had Geico car insurance, and we got a little fender better this afternoon. And we called Geico and said, hey, listen, we need you to cover this car claim. And Geico says, gosh, guys, have you seen the stock market the past couple weeks? Way down. We can't cover your car claim. You would think, why do I have car insurance? My point simply is this, in the variable life insurance product, in those products, you're never going to get the investment you thought you could unless you invested directly. And the insurance may never be the insurance you thought you did. It's just muddying both waters. That's why, again, that's kind of the overview of all three buckets. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about the, your explanation of that is that I, I think it's misrepresented that whole life insurance is the uh, is a mudding the water between an investment and and an insurance project product and and it's not it's the indexed and the variables and the universals they're the ones at to, to put it your to use your words muddying the water between the investment and the insurance product. When we had our downturn and well, let me, we had two downturns in my career. One was the dot com bubble in two thousand one and two. I remember back then everyone said the internet's gone. It's not going to work. Dot com, it's just a, it's a, it's a fad. It's not going to go anywhere. Obviously, not true. It was just certain companies that did, but everyone casted shade on the whole marketplace. Then 0809 with mortgages. Who still has a mortgage? Probably a lot of people. It's not a terrible thing. It was done incorrectly then. So whenever we've got a, a portion of an industry that doesn't work the way we want it to, we tend to say that industry is wrong. Similarly to my first analogy, which is. I said to you, Highway 1 is a terrible road to go. You say, no, why do you say that? Oh, you have that car. Well, for that car, that's the right car for that road. Similarly, an intern, you get the right product, it'll work the way you want it to. So how does, uh, how does this product, this whole life insurance, if structured properly, um, how does it grow? How do, how do you actually grow money? And I know you said it's tax-free, but how does that work? Walk, walk us through an example. Okay, so what you're doing is you're basically you're depositing money into a large insurance company, someone like large, you get into a bank. Bank will hold your money. And then how a bank makes money is it then loans your money out and the bank makes money. Great, so we get how banks make money. Insurance is a little bit different, but very similar. You give money to them, they then loan it out as corporate bonds in the marketplace. But guess who gets the return of investment on that? You do, because, the, because in a mutually based life insurance company, you're part owner of that company. So when the dividends come back to the whole life insurance company, they're spread down to you as the policy owner. So, so they take my money and they invest it, but they're doing it in bonds. And I participate in the upside of those investments. That's correct. As, as a policyholder in a mutual right. insurance company. And that, that's, that's key, right? That's correct. You, you said it absolutely correct. So like how a bank makes money when they loan in different products in the marketplace, how banks make money in the life insurance company, very similar. Very similar, but then you get to share in that appreciation and that and those in that interest dividends. So if I if I have a premium and, and we're, we're just going to pick, pick a number out of the air because everybody's situation is going to be different. You could have a million dollar premium and you could have a hundred dollar premium, right? It, it's going to be wildly different depending upon your needs and what you're trying to ensure and what you're trying to accomplish. 
But let's say that you have an annual premium of $100,000 in one of these product, products, whole life products. Um, tell, kind of walk us through what portion of that is premium and it covers death benefit. What portion of that is part that's growing in cash value that we can receive later? How, how does that work? Okay. So obviously it would be kind of like saying, hey, I'm going to give you some car keys here. Tell me how the car works. And I would say to you, which car are we talking about? So again, to my previous one, there's various products for different things, but categorically, this is how it works. Initially, you're going to have some sort of death benefit that goes along with the premium payment. And there's a cost for that death benefit because in case you die minute one day one, the insurance company is going to have a cost of insurance at that level. But once you get past a couple years into it, you haven't died yet. So the insurance company, it starts to become a one-to-one -one transaction, meaning for every dollar I put in the life insurance, I've got the cash value there. And like I said, then you're going to start sharing the dividends of the company. So insurance is a long game. It's a long game. But if done correctly, it's a great place, again, to store your cash, have it there tax growing tax-free. But it does take a couple years for it to kind of fully develop. So you're putting you're putting money in and it's usually at a higher higher premium than you would a term policy because you're buying it, not renting it to your point. Uh, and, and part of that money goes to cover a death benefit, which in most cases for wealthy people who take advantage of this, the death benefit is not even the point. The point is the protection of the cash to place to store it so that they can get to it liquid and it's growing uh, over time and it's tax free growth. So whatever portion of that is growing, Jason, how, how is it tax-free? So if I put in a hundred grand a year and premiums, you know, at some point I'm going to have a cash value and that policy in excess of the couple hundred thousand dollars I might've put in. How is that tax-free? How does the government not take, take part of that and take taxes out of it? A couple of different answers to, the, to that question. One is life insurance is based on contract law. What do I mean by contract law? It's wealth is built two ways in the United States. Wealth is built what's called statement wealth, meaning I got to check my statement to see what it has, a brokerage account, real estate. It's on a statement. I get a statement to see how much it is. And as an investment, that statement will be taxed. Then there's what's called contract wealth, which is based on contract law. And contract law is not based on investments. It's based on contract law. You're agreeing to pay a certain amount of money to an insurance company. They're agreeing to do this. That's a contract law, not an investment. So that's one answer to it. The second answer is this. When you take money out of insurance, for those of you that are in real estate, you'll understand this. If I have a piece of real estate worth a million bucks and I want $100,000, but I've got a piece of real estate worth a million, but I want 100 grand, how do I get the 100 grand? Do I go into there and rip out the sink in the, in the refrigerator and go sell those in Craigslist for my, my money? No, I loan against my, my house. So it's, it's a technical term. I'm loaning against the, the asset. So in life insurance, we, how we, we prefer to structure it is a loan against the policy. And so when I get the money, that by nature is a tax-free distribution. Okay. So debt is not taxable. That's, that's the bottom line is that if you're Correct. taking a loan against the asset, which is Correct. a certain level of cash value, you get that and it's growing inside the policy uh, to your benefit and it's tax-free on the distribution and it's tax-free as it grows. Now, one of the things that, which was the title of today's show, today's episode is how to get infinitely compounding interest or infinite compounding interest on your money. How, explain a little bit about how that works. Cause that to me is probably the coolest part of this whole thing is 
when you borrow the money out of there, it just it's as if you didn't take it out and it continues to grow. Can you can you explain the infinite compounding interest? So in certain policies, um, again, in certain policy structures, policies, there's what's called non-direct recognition policies, meaning this. And here's the analogy. This is the analogy I gave you many years ago, Jason, which is if I was given you guys one of two assets, asset A is a million dollar stock portfolio, million bucks growing at 5%. So asset A, million dollar portfolio growing at 5%. Asset B is a million dollar piece of real estate growing at 5%. So portfolio of a million, real estate of a million. And I said, which one would you guys pick? So, you know, be, some of you would pick the stock, some of you pick the real estate. Here's how I kind of want you most to think about it. Let's just say next year you need to buy a, a machinery for $600,000 that was going to improve all your businesses. Uh, 600 grand, but it's going to improve my business. And let's just say I chose the portfolio. And I had a million bucks in it. I take 600 grand out. I bought the machine. So if I had a million dollar portfolio, took 600 out, it's now 400 grand growing at 5%. Okay. So instead I chose the real estate, million dollar piece of real estate. I take 600 grand off the real estate, bought the machine. So same machine we're buying both scenarios. But if I took 600 grand off my real estate, how much is my real estate worth now? Well, it's still worth a million dollars. It doesn't know it has a loan against it. How does it make sense in life insurance? There are policies you can have the, your money sitting in. You can borrow it out, but your policy is still going to grow irrespective of the fact you have a loan against the policy. To Jason's point, that's where you can get that extra rate of return because you can use your money in two places, in the policy and wherever else you're going to take it out and go to. What is the average rate of return on a properly structured whole life insurance policy? Dividends right now are around 6% for a lot of the mutual non-direct companies. So at 6%, people may be listening to go, well, man, I can get 10 or 12% in the stock market. Why, why is that not 10 or 12%? And why is 6% more than 6%? You also might lose 20% in the market as well. So there's that. Life insurance is a guaranteed appreciating asset, meaning it's guaranteed to go up. Whereas other, other platforms and other vehicles, it doesn't have that. It does not have that, that, that same feature. So this is guaranteed. Life insurance will never be your investment but it'll be the best place to house cash. Yeah. And, and really one of the things that this is designed to do probably better than anything else is to get you out of the banking industry in terms of lending. Like you don't, you, if you do this right and start early enough, you can, you can stockpile enough capital and cash value to where you'd never need to borrow money from the bank. Cause when you borrow money from the bank, they're going to ask for your credit. They're going to run your credit. They're going to say, how much money do you make? What collateral are you going to put up against this? But if you have, let's say you wanted to buy a new car for $50,000, the bank's going to ask for all that. But if you have $50,000 worth of life insurance cash value, you can go to the life insurance company and just request $50,000 distribution alone. They give you the 50,000. They don't ask anything because they're, the collateral against it is the life insurance policy itself. So they know if you die, you know, if anything happens, they're going to get their money back because they're just going to deduct what they would have paid you in death benefit, what you owe them in the loan. Is that, is that a fair way to say it? That is a fair way to say it. Again, I always tell people, again, life insurance is not an investment. It's not what in and of itself is going to make you rich. What is going to make you wealthy is things you guys are doing in your businesses and your other investments. This is merely a place to hold your cash in a protected tax-free zone. And again, like I was asking, if you're not going to put your cash in life, where then? Where is going to give you guaranteed appreciation? Where is going to give you liquidity? Where is going to get you tax efficiencies? Where is going to give you protection on your money? Where is going to do those things? 
If you don't like life, great, don't do it. But then where else are you going to go? That's right. I, I, I tell you, ever since I discovered this, and then of course, I feel blessed to have met you during the process of this. Um, you know, I've, I've committed pretty large, <laughs> pretty large amounts of my, my annual income uh, to these policies, because I, I believe that I can store my capital there and pull it out later from when I need it. For example, I invested in a, in a business a uh, month or so ago, and rather than pulling cash out of a bank account or out of a safe somewhere, I just went to the insurance policy and I said, hey, I need X number of thousands of dollars. Uh, and they sent it to me and then I, then I invested. So here's what's going to happen. That investment I made should have a return, but l- l- let's pretend that it does just for the sake of conversation. I'm going to make money on that money over here to the tune of maybe 20 or 30% returns if the risk pays off the way that we hope that it does. But that money that I borrowed out of the life insurance, the life insurance doesn't know there's a loan against it. So it's going to continue to grow. The dividends are going to be paid against that money as if I never took it out. So I'm double dipping on that same capital. So for those that are saying, well, I, I don't want to get 6%, I want 20% in the market or 10%. Okay, well, well, if you do it the way we're talking about doing it today, and by the way, I'm not a life insurance agent, I get no payments for, for this. But but if but if you do it the way we're talking today, you not only get the dividends from the life insurance company, but you get to use your money two times. Like you get to use your money multiple times. I think that's Another cool part about this is I get to use the money twice. Is there that, something about that that you could explain better than I just rambled about? <laughs> no, no. You gave a real life example of how it works. Like I, like I said, think of it as a, again, I'm going to be kind of redundant here, but where else do you store cash? Where else can you store cash? Bank account, well, the stocks could be volatile, they didn't go down. There's where else do you store your cash and where you store your cash. This is the best of that. To your point is, you can then take your cash, make a better rate of return, and don't lose a rate of return that's over here as well. Yeah. Well, what one of the things that I coach as a business coach, I coach people when thinking about financial literacy, is that cash, if you spend cash, it is gone. It is gone forever. Now, if you've invested it, there's the expectation of a return that's going to come back. But even in that investment, that cash is now gone. That is not, you can't use it anymore because it has now been allocated towards something else. But not so with life insurance, properly structured whole life insurance policies, because the cash that is there can be used over and over and over and over again, because you pull out, let's say you pull out $100,000 to make an investment. Well, over time, you put that money back, like you, your hundred grand made a hundred grand over here in your business investment. So now you're thinking, okay, well, I got this windfall of a hundred thousand dollars. What do I do with it? Well, I go pay off my life insurance loan and then I use it again and again and again and again. So the wealthy have been doing this for years. Why is it now that people, that people are starting to wake up to this. What, what do you think is causing this awakening to, oh, wow, there's a whole life thing. I, I see this on TikTok and Instagram all the time, guys doing videos about how to use whole life insurance. Why do you think that's happening now? What's going on? I think people have been um, fooled at some degree with stock market and fooled with other investments. And I think they are looking for security. And I think more and more people like yourself, Jason, and other people that have had good experiences with the product and understand the product are now speaking, speaking more about the product. I think formerly, I mean, that's kind of one of our, you know, tech, with technology and social media and everything the way it is, is we're able to be a, a more vocal minority for those other products. And now 
more people are feel more more okay to say, yeah, I do that too. And yes, this is how it works for me and those kind of different things. I just think it's more people feel more comfortable saying, yes, I use whole life insurance rather than have this stigma that it's some sort of inferior product. So uh, if anybody listening right now, if you're on the live webinar, if you have a question that you wanna ask, go to the Q&A bubble at the bottom of your screen. There's a little bubble, it looks like Q&A and, and just click that Q&A bubble. Pop your question in there and uh, Jason will address that question. So put your questions in and we'll ask those live here and we'll get a lot of answers. So Jason, there's lots and lots of life insurance companies out there, lots lot, and even more life insurance salespeople. So what do you, what's your recommendation for people that say, hey, I'm interested in this. I really don't know how it works other than calling you. And we're going to give your phone number here at the end of the show today. Uh, other than calling you, what are the, some things that people need to look out for on choosing the agent and the company that they're working with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do some research. I'll give you a couple terms to kind of Google. You guys are all can Google now. I, I couldn't do that 20 years ago. Um, is a couple things is look at the, there's two types of life insurance companies in the world. There's what's called stock life insurance companies and mutually based life insurance companies. Go research those. Take a time to what's the difference between stock companies and mutual life insurance companies. After that, underneath mutual companies, there's two types of mutual companies. There's what's called direct recognition mutual companies and non-direct recognition companies. So let me give it again. Every life insurance carrier is either a stock-based life insurance company or a mutually-based life insurance company. One of those two. Then underneath mutual companies, there are two types. There's what's called direct recognition companies and non-direct recognition companies. I would start there. That'll give you an overview of kind of, to take the car analogy, what are some car manufacturers? Before we get into what product, what would give me an overview about cars? I would say, look at these, look at these, look at these. That's kind of what I'm saying here is research those couple things. And I think that'll get you on the right path of where you want to go. So one of the, let's talk, I'm going to break that down. We've got a couple of questions that come in, but before I get to those, I want to go, I want to, I want to piggyback on what you just said, Jason. So there's stock and mutual. So I got two different kinds and under mutual, you got direct recognition, non-direct recognition. Could you break down what that means on direct recognition? Yeah, sorry. I didn't explain that in my previous analogy. So the analogy about the stock market and the life insurance, the stock market and the life insurance where I had the million dollars of both that took 600,000 of each. So the stock market is it's considered a direct recognition asset class, meaning if I got a million dollars in my stock market in my portfolio and I take a hundred out, the hundred is directly recognized, meaning it was a hundred, now it's $900,000 growing at that 5% or whatever that percent. It's a directly recognized asset, meaning it's directly recognized for how much I take out or add. Real estate is a non-direct recognition, meaning if I have a million dollar piece of real estate and I take a loan against it 600 grand, it's not directly recognized for that loan. It doesn't know it has a loan. Whether I have no loan on real estate or all the loans on real estate, it's not directly recognized. So in life insurance, when I pull money from a policy, one type of policy is called direct recognition, meaning it's directly recognized of how much I take out. The other one's called non-direct recognition, meaning whether I take the money out or have it in there, the dividend stays the same. Okay, good. Well, I think that's an important, important distinction. So what we're looking for, if I'm reading this right, is we want to look for a mutual company who does non-direct recognition. That's correct. That's right. That's where we want to put it. All right. So we got a few questions in and, uh, and I'm going to do this too. For those that are listening to this later on the replay, uh, or if you're listening to this on my podcast, The Root of All Success, 
make sure you go to therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS, which stands for Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur Master Series, and register for these. I do a couple of these every single month. We bring in experts like Jason Weiss, and we talk about some topic. Today's topic is life insurance. Next, next time topic may be something completely different, but just make sure you go register so that you get the experience of being here live if you can. So we got a couple of live questions. Max asks this question. Is this appropriate for older people? In other words, people over 60. So good question, Max. Thank you for submitting your question. Jason, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I get that a lot. I guess my answer would be is what's the purpose of the life insurance? Um, similarly, um, like if you're going to go buy a car, is it appropriate for this type of person or this type of person? Yeah, a car is appropriate, but what type of car do we need for those type, two different types of people? For you that's or somebody that's over 60, Maybe it's for estate planning we need it for. Maybe it's for we want a tax-free distribution of money to offset our 401k, which will be taxable. What is you need it? But the, the, the short answer is there is no true age restriction to life insurance. There's just an insurability answer, which is the insurance company has to know you're not going to essentially die immediately, if that makes sense. They have to have some sort of that. You've got to be a healthy person. Um, so over 60, no. I might cut off for age generally is between 75 and 80. But again, even at that, I would ask, what is the purpose you want the insurance for? Yeah. And I think uh, obviously you're the expert in this, but as a user of this type of policy and someone who's encouraged dozens and dozens and dozens of people to go call you and to buy policies like this, even those that are in their sixties, I've encouraged to do it because they all, they'll ask me if they're, they're in that age break, well, should I do this? Because, you know, I'm older. And what I, what I say different than your answer, but kind of going to the same route is, Listen, if you've got a large chunk of cash, like right now, that this is a great place to store it because if you put it in the bank, it is at risk. If you put it in stocks, it is at risk. If you put it in crypto, it is at risk. All those things are risk. And, and none of those things are bad. They certainly have their places. But if you put it in life insurance, even if you're not getting this huge death benefit, which you probably don't need, um, you know, Max may or may not need a death benefit, but but there's a protection, there's a return on investment, there's a liquidity, tax advantages, easy to get to, and low risk. Those are the things you want. So that's that's a great answer, Jason. So thank you for that. And, and I should have added one more thing. Cash value, in the depending on what state you live in, in certain states is a creditor and asset and bankruptcy protected asset class. Meaning if you have money in the bank account and you get sued, they can attach your bank account. If you get sued, they can attach your portfolio. They can attach your real estate. They can attach your business. In certain states, you cannot touch the cash value of somebody's policy. So it's a great asset protection vehicle. All right. So that is a, a point that I want to drive home just a minute. Um, in some states, most states also, I don't know what, what it is, but your this money that's sitting in this cash value is protected. Creditors cannot get to it. That is really, really important. People listen to that because Obviously, you need to talk to Jason or a life insurance agent about how your state handles that. But I live in Tennessee and in Tennessee, creditors cannot get to it, correct? That's correct. So uh, not that I plan on doing it, but in the event that I was to file bankruptcy, something bad happens and I've got a million or two million dollars in cash value saying that life insurance that I can get access to at any time. The creditors have no right or access to that capital. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, but I can also use that on my personal financial statement as capital that I have available to me if I'm applying for, you know, to buy a new business or if I'm needing to do something, right? That, that's correct. Barring certain 
stipulations, which are minor and opaque, but you're correct. Yes. All right, good. So we've got another question. Uh, Mark is asking this question. He says, are there any other fees and or penalties when you loan against your policy? Good question, Mark. Thank you for being here. When you loan against your penalty, there are no fees, no penalties whatsoever. There's nothing like that. It's your money. Um, now, depending on how you take it out, if it's as, as a loan, as I'm saying, it, there would be a small internal loan interest rate within the life insurance company. But remember, you're getting that spread of a dividend to offset that. So it's not like you'll ever make a interest payment, um, but there is a small loan that's embedded into the policy when you loan against it. But no, no fees, no penalties or anything like that. You know, what's interesting about this too is that the loans you take against your policy never have, and that's the word, have to be paid back. Um, so let's say your death benefits a million dollars on your policy and you borrowed half a million dollars. Uh, over the course of a period of years, and you never paid anything back. Uh, interest, of course, is growing, as you just pointed out, on the loan that you've taken out, but your dividend is offsetting that, so there's really not any interest on it. Well, there technically is, but effectively there's not. But at your death, if you still had that outstanding half a million dollar loan, what happens? What happens to that million dollar death benefit, Jason? Just take it out of death for like a mortgage when you sold your house. So instead of getting a mil instead of getting the full million, they're going to take the million, deduct what you've borrowed, which is half a million, haven't paid back. So your family still gets a half a million dollars in death benefit. So you're getting to use the money while you're alive, not waiting until you're dead. That's that's a cool part. So Mark, uh, good question. Thank you for asking that question. All right, Josh. Uh, Josh has a question here. He's uh, actually he's got a few, so we'll just go one at a time. Josh asks, is the loan from the life insurance tax-free as well? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 100% tax-free. Yeah, easy, easy answer there. That is, yes, it's tax-free. Debt is not taxable. All right, so how does the loan value affect someone who is a sole proprietor? How does the loan value affect someone who's a sole proprietor? Well, no, I, I think I have, I, I believe I know the angle of this question, which is if I take a loan and I'm running a business, that loan may have, if I take loans as a business categorically, forget about insurance from, if I take loans as a business owner or proprietor, I got to put those on my PFS. I got to show that to a bank to say, hey, listen, I loan other money, you know, FYI. When you take a loan against your insurance policy, you don't have to tell a soul because that's between you and the insurance company. It's not a, some sort of that's reported. So if you're going to do banking in a traditional sense, no, a loan against your life insurance policy will not affect your borrowing abilities. See, you read between the lines that I couldn't see. So good, good job. Uh, he also asked this question. Do, Josh says, do I need to have a certain structure to my business to properly benefit from this process? The answer is you don't have to. I mean, that's a really good question. It can go a lot of different ways. Um, there are certain structures that work a lot better. The answer to your question is there's no structure that makes it impossible, but there are some that make it a lot better. That's one of those I'd love to kind of take offline and, and, and walk through that a little bit with you. Yeah. So, uh, so Josh, good question. Thank you for being here. Uh, at the end of the call today, you're going to get a phone number for Jason to reach out to him, talk to him directly. He'll be happy to talk to anybody who was on the, in the, uh, in our live episode today. So thank you for asking that question, Josh. And by the way, th this is really what the EMS is all about. The entrepreneur masters is all about getting this feedback and live opportunity for you to get live coaching, consulting on different topics. So for those of you that are here live right now, continue to ask those questions. Max has asked another one. So we're going to go back to Max's question in a second, but anybody else that's out there, you want to ask a question, go to the Q and a box, type it in. And this is where we really get down to the nitty gritty. So Max asks, 
Very simple question. Does this work internationally? Well, I would want to kind of know a little bit more about the question. Are you internationally or are you going to get the policy here in the United States and then travel internationally? Um, if that's the case, because there's some anti-money laundering laws, I don't want to get into too far deep into that. But this works great internationally, meaning if I'm banking with fill in the blank, whoever local regional bank you've got, and I travel to France or Paris or, or Singapore, that bank may not be able to get me my money the way I want them to get to it. However, if I have a life insurance policy, I can tap into that. that, that, that they will wire money anywhere to any state or any country. Therefore, I, it works really well in international context is because I then can get dollars in any place I want to at any time. So he he clarified. He just said that he is he is relocating uh, somewhere outside of the United States. So does that have an effect on on any it, of this? It actually works wonderfully well because what you're gonna what you're gonna do, and without knowing exactly what country you're gonna go to, but let's just play it out. Let's just say you are you're going you're gonna you're gonna go to Europe. You're gonna you're gonna work off the euro. Everybody that's not in the United States when they get money, whether it's euros or or any other foreign currency. One of your goals at the end of the day is to try to get that currency into U.S. dollars. And how are you going to do that? The only real way to do that is to go to some sort of exchange and exchange your money and take whatever exchange fees are there and take whatever haircut there was on the, on the difference in currency. And this model is you can take those dollars, pay off an insurance loan in those dollars, and then free up cash value, which is in American dollars. It's a great utilization of it. It has to be taken here in the United States. You can't take out policy. Well, there's certain ones, not the ones we're talking about, have to take the policy out here in the United States. So for American citizens, no matter where they're residing, this is a good thing. We should, you should definitely do this. Uh, and again, with very little respect to your age, you should also, because he was also the one that asked about the age. So with very little respect to your age and the fact that you're a U.S. citizen going to move abroad, this is perfect. But I would assume that if anybody's watching this who or listening to this on the podcast who lives in Australia or who lives in Germany or Italy or somewhere. So the, I assume the legal structure of life insurance in those other countries is going to be different slightly or even greatly uh, than what we're talking about. Is that true? There are some nuances there. It's not a, a hard no, but there's various other products and other structures we'd have to look at at that point. Yeah. Okay. So, but uh, for, for Max's sake, asking that question, he's uh, from all intents and purposes here, it looks like he's a U.S. citizen, just going to be moving abroad. And he, he just, so none of that would affect him. He's a U.S. citizen. He's going to have that done. Okay, good. And uh, he will definitely want to reach out to you and, and, <laughs> and chat with you after the fact. So any other questions, make sure you drop those in the Q and a box. So Jason, um, so you got into this as an attorney working on a deal where life insurance was a part of it and you were just curious. Now this is uh, one of the primary things that you do on a regular basis. So you're also a consultant, very successful business consultant. You run a, a really great networking and, and masterminding agency here in, in, the, in, the, in the Nashville area called Symphony 6. But what, what do you see as coming down the pike for insurance? Is anything going to change? Do you think the feds are going to get wind of this and make a change in the laws? I mean, what, what do you think is coming next in this whole life insurance thing? Yeah, good question. Um, I, and I think that's another reason why life insurance people are attracted so much to life insurance. Because if I ask that kind of open-ended question, what's next? Okay, well, what's next in 401ks? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, they can do anything with our money. They can do anything they want. What's next with 1031 exchanges? 
A lot of talk about that. In life insurance, remember, I go back to it's, it's contract law, meaning it's always based on contract law. My, I have a contract with you, Jason. I have a contract with this carrier. I've got a contract, contract. If they want to tap into and start to manipulate the space and legislate this space, they'd have to re-legislate contract law, which would blow up jurisprudence as we know it. So they try to always touch insurance, but there's honestly no way to do it because again, it's based on contract law. Um, but that is why to your earlier point, Jason, why are more people gravitating to these products? Because look at your other alternatives. Look at the 401k. And this is an analogy I gave you years ago, Jason, which is for those of you listening, if Jason Duncan right now gave me a $20 bill and I held the $20 bill, Jason just gives it to me. And I said, to everybody, whose $20 bill is this? Everyone say, oh, that's Jason Duncan's. He just gave it to you. I said, okay. Same analogy. Jason Duncan gives me the 20. But I said to Duncan, hey, in 20 years from today, I, I, me, this Jason, gets to tell Duncan how much of his 20 I'm giving back. I get to decide how much I want to give back. I give back a dollar, I can give back 19, but I get to decide. Whose 20 does it look like now? I was like, my 20. So I always ask people in your 401k in 15, 20 years from now, when you want to take money out of it, who gets to decide the tax rates? You or the government? My point is this, is your 401k really yours or is it theirs? Yeah. And yeah, go go ahead. No, so my point is as we start, as more and more people are are keen to, yeah, are they getting rid of the 1031 exchange? Are they getting rid of the 401k? They're going to tax that. What are they doing to this? Is, you know, without going to, is there corruption on Wall Street? Any of those things. So people are going, then where can I put my money? Oh, there's this thing over here that's guaranteed, tax free, and cannot be legislated because of contract law. That looks pretty good. So if you ask me, where's the future going? I think more and more people are going to go into this space. By the way, that's going to sign up. That's why crypto has gotten so popular. Why is crypto popular? Can't, it's, very t- it's very tough to get to. People are trying to access it. It's off the grid. But highly illiquid. When I say illiquid, you know, if you lose a password, how do I pay for it? All those kind of different things. But it's trying to do what life insurance has done all along, which is create this tax-free protected bucket of money that cannot be touched by the government. Yeah. Yeah. Crypto is definitely not easy to get to (laughs) on your fourth point of the traits of where you want to store your cash. uh, It is not easy to get to as someone who holds a little bit of crypto. I can tell you, it's not easy to get to Um, a couple of things I want to point out about this, just curiosity questions and how I'm using the, using my policies is that I, uh, for the sake of the listeners, I just want you to know I'm I, I, I'm I'm drinking my own Kool Aid here because I got completely out of the stock market. Out of my, I didn't have a 401k because I was a I was a school teacher. I had a 403b, which is essentially the same thing for for state agencies or anything like or nonprofits. So I, I cashed out my 403b, cashed out my stocks, and rolled all my capital into properly structured life insurance policies because I can get access to that capital now. So. There's this there's this uh, there's this part of this whole thing, Jason, that we can bank on ourselves or the infinite banking concept. Or so, can you explain a little bit about what that means? Because we're not actually setting up a bank, but we can use this whole life insurance policy as a bank of sorts. How, how does that work? Yeah, I, I get that a lot. Um, so, in, yeah, infinite banking. It's um, it, it, it's essentially the same thing we've been talking about, which is we're going to put money into a cash value product, 
we are now the bank for ourselves. We're not relying on the bank checking our financials. Now we're in a bank checking our tax returns. Now we're in a bank call loans. Like we've gone some years uh, away from this, but there was years where banks called loans on folks. We are now going to be our own bank, which is we're going to put our money over here and we are our own bank infinitely because guess what? As money goes into a properly structured product, there's a death benefit, which is going to give more money to the next generation. It's infinitely going to be our bank for our family. It's not touch banking laws. It, it's not subject to some length, uh, senior creditor's decision. We are our own bank at this point. Yeah, I think that's probably another one of the coolest parts about this is that you can, if you if you do this right and you start early enough, before long, you will be able to exit the uh, the regular banking system except for maybe just a very, very little bit of money you have to keep in there just to move around. But otherwise, you can get out of the banking system, which is my long-term intent. And with no disrespect to any bankers who may be listening or, <laughs> or watching this, but some of the scariest times I've had in business are when bankers uh, got scared about what was going on and, and they didn't call loans, but they were you know, got very close to that. You know, they, they hold everything in their hands. They're your partner, even though you don't really want them to be your partners. And they can ruin a business with just a stroke of a pen because you are borrowing money. You've leveraged money and it's their money. And they can come and say, hey, I want that back. Where if you bank on yourself through life insurance, you remove that risk. So as a business owner, it's a very, very safe place for you. Not just that. Not just that. If you put, if you have $500,000 in cash value, say you have $500 in cash value life insurance, 500 grand and you have 500000 in your bank account. Here's what I want you all to do, you entrepreneurs. Go to your bank tomorrow. Go to the teller and look at the little placard next to the teller. You know what that placard says? Your money is insured up to 250000 FDIC insurance. So your five hundred that's sitting in the bank, forget about loans, forget about credit options, forget about any of that. Your five hundred sitting at the bank, you know how much you really have? Two fifty. It's in a life insurance policy of five hundred grand cash value. Guess how much you have? Five hundred grand guaranteed. That's your guarantee. I always, if you want more research on this to kind of go low, look up two acronyms: B O L I, Boli, B O L I, and the converse is Coley, C O L I. That's bank owned life insurance or the Coley, which is corporate owned life insurance. Because I always tell people, you're a bank, you're a company, you're Apple computer, you're Tesla, you're a company with a lot of cash. Where do you put your cash? Where do large corporations put their cash? The bank, we just identified, they'll insure you up to 250,000. That's it, that's their insurance. So we're gonna put you with cash. We're not even talking about creditor approval and calling loans. Where do you put your cash that every dollar in there is gonna be there and, it, and it's not insured up to 250 grand. Yeah, that should scare a lot of people who are listening to this, who are high, high net worth people who've just got lots and lots of cash sitting in a bank somewhere. Yeah, it's not intended just, to scare people, but I like it should really make you think. Again, I tell people, you've got cash. Really understand what's going on. You've got one place that's insured at 250 and then another place that's guaranteed to have it. My point is this, whenever I hear people I represent some high net worth individuals and they always say really just one thing. Don't lose my money. Great. Hey, client, I put you in a bank account. You're insured up to 250 grand. Jason, let me tell you, don't lose my money. If that is your mindset, if you believe some stuff could happen in the future, banking, Wall Street, whatever could happen. If you're one of those people, just keep repeating to yourself, 
my bank insures me to 250 or over here, I, my cash is always there guaranteed. Well, what's interesting too about that 250 FDIC insurance that everybody talks about is that it's not really 250. And, and I'm not a banker and nor am I a, an expert in legal matters. But as I understand the Dodd-Frank Act that, kept, that was passed subsequent to the Great Recession of 08-09, back in 08-09, one of the reasons that the banks uh, were able to stay in business, the big banks, is they were bailed out. The federal government came in and gave them the money. So if they say, hey, we've taken $10 million in deposits, but we don't have access to that capital. We're going to go under. We can't. We don't have it anymore. The federal government says, well, here's $10 million. And so they bailed them out. They got them out of the problem. And I, I'm oversimplifying this. But today, there's no bailout in the Dodd-Frank Act. The, the bailout is actually a bail-in. And what this now means is that when you deposit a dollar amount into an FDIC-insured insured bank in the United States, backed by the Federal Reserve, you're only you're only given an IOU against the stock in that bank. Now think about this. So if you put 250 in the bank, right, and the bank goes under, they don't owe you $250,000 in cash. They only owe you $250,000 in stock against that bank. Go look it up. That that's what scared the you know what out of me. And that's why I definitely want to get out of the banking system, because as, as someone who's growing wealth aggressively as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, I don't want to put it in places where I get stock in the bank. I don't want to be a banker. I don't want to own stock in the bank. I want my capital. I want the ability to spend that, invest that and make impact with it. Jason, thoughts about that? Yeah. I, I, somebody once told me, a client of mine told me years ago, is I, I pushed them on. I said, OK, you ask your bank, go to your bank, see what their response is to what I just said about the 250. And the banker says, well, I've got three really good options. The banker's like, I've got three good options for you. My client's like, okay, I want to hear them. Like, client had a couple million bucks. And it's like, you know, 250. The guy said, number one, this is, I think it was Bank of America. It was down in California. The banker said, I've got three options. One is you might want to open an account at a different bank and put 250 there. Because like, well, I'm banking with you. Why would I go to a different bank and start spreading 250? He goes, okay, yeah, that might not be good. Let's do this. Do you have a joint owner in this bank account? If you had a joint owner, it's 250 per person. That's one way around it. So if you have a joint owner, guys like, I don't have a joint owner. Why would I have a joint owner of my own money? So, and then the last person said is, um, do this. If we reclassify and you get a different savings account, we might be able to get 250 over here. The point being is the banker said it in itself, I can't cover you up to 250. And his solutions were so ludicrous. That's what the guy came to. He's like, if I gave you, if I have 2.5 million sitting cash value, what happens? It's all yours, guaranteed to be there. He goes, no joint owner? Nope. No two policies? Nope. One place, one time. And the fact that, that we didn't even get into the fractional reserve system. They don't even have, they've got what, less than 20% of the money on deposit is available at any one time. Uh, I mean, percent is eight. Eight percent is what you said. So, so we're dealing with fun. It, it's fake. It's fake money. I think Robert Kiyosaki wrote a book called Fake, and he talks about the fake system and the Federal Reserve note is just a note that they just print this money. I mean, what what what, what percentage? What percentage of the money the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve notes are in circulation now that just was printed in the last eighteen months? It's 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 over seventy percent. It's it's insane. So it's. It's a, what we're talking about today, yes, it's life insurance, how to get infinitely compounding interest, how to protect it. But reality, it's a wake-up call against what the banking system and our U.S. dollar is. I'm not a doomsdayer. I don't think, I don't think anything is going to fall apart 
anytime soon. I think the United States is the greatest country ever, and we're resilient. We're going to figure it out in spite of the politicians running things. But why would you take that risk? Why would you not put it in a place where you can save it and, uh, permanently? And it's always accessible. And I, to go back and to close, to close this conversation, I go back to the five traits to store cash that Jason Weiss pointed at the beginning of the show. You want to have good return on that investment, liquidity, tax advantage, easy to get to, and low risk, all of which are provided in properly structured mutual whole life insurance policies. That's correct. I mean, I, you know, I, I challenge you all the time. Give me another trait of a good place to start cash. Like I'm more than welcome to hear traits. Like I, I ask you all the time and generally it goes into those categories. Except if I, you know, like if I wanted to start cash, what would be a great trait? I'm like a, an ROI. That'd be a great trait, but I, I want minimum risk too. So remember just storing cash is not the place for investments. Investments is a different conversation, but what's a place to start cash? Yeah, I want an ROI, but I want minimum risk. Okay, great. How about a place you can never lose your money and get you about a 6% dividend layer in the policy? Oh, that's fine. How about liquidity? Because there's some places you store your cash, crypto, real estate, not liquid. Great. How about tax efficiencies? Gosh, my real estate's gone up. I'm going to pay taxes. The point is, once you guys start going through all those things, test your theories out. When you start to think of where am I going to store my cash? It may not be today, but it may be when you're 65. When you store your cash, when, if any, where are you going to do it? If you don't do something now to set something up, it, you get to a point where you know you may not be able to for whatever reason. Well, I highly recommend for the listeners, whether they're on this live, they're watching a replay, or they're listening to it on my podcast at some point in the future. Jason Weiss is one of the guys who knows how to do this better than anybody else. I really, really recommend that you reach out to him. And I, Jason is going to give his phone number, or actually, I'll give it for you. But Jason's going to invite you as a listener to reach out to him directly to ask questions. He, he, and I can speak from very, very, very close experience with Jason as a friend, as an agent, as a colleague. You know, it's it. He's just going to answer your questions. He'll drive. He'll help you drive the car where you want to go, and he'll answer the questions for you. So call him at nine one six seven eight three. 7,900. I'll say that again, 916-783-7900, Jason Weiss, and uh, he's with Symphony Wealth. He is, he's one of the greatest guys in the, in the whole nation on doing this and helping you understand how to protect that wealth, how to store your cash. So I want to encourage you to do that. Jason, any final words before we sign off for today's episode? No, I, I would just say this to everyone, if you guys are listening, I've been asking a lot of people this. Um, at the end of the day, after you guys sell your business, sell your real estate, do whatever you want to do, really reflect and say, okay, I sold my business for $10 million. I get that check. Then what? We're so concerned about the ROI on things, so concerned about that. We never ask the question, okay, we physically have the check. Now what? They tell people all the time, the only reason Jason Duncan or me invest in anything, real estate, a business, the market, I, the only reason we invest in anything is for one reason, not to get an ROI, but so one day I get that money back. If I never could get my money back, just burn it then. Like, who cares? So run the analysis, run the thought process tonight. If I get my check for selling my business for whatever that number is, where, what then, where do I put my cash? And the, the best place to put your cash is in one of these products. 
Well, I thank you, Jason, for being a guest on the show today. Thank you for being a part of this. Reach out to Jason at 916-783-7900. That's 916-783-7900. I put that in the chat for those that are here live so you can see that. Um, we I do these EMSs every couple times a month. The next one's coming up on June 21st at 3.30 p.m. Central Time. And uh, the topic of that one is going to be the secret to calculating your probability of success, the secret to calculating your probability of success and my success. And my guest expert that day is none other than Dan Vega, who's the founder of Indigo River Publishing. He's a uh, math genius who built a multi-million dollar personal brand in the seminar space, understanding probabilities of success, helping entrepreneurs and business owners understand what's going to be the probability of success. So make sure that you register for that one. Go to the realjasonduncan.com slash EMS and register for that. And then I have a special offer before we sign off today. I have a special offer as an entrepreneur, and this is only for entrepreneurs. So if you're not an entrepreneur, this is not for you. But as an entrepreneur, if you want to learn how to establish a business that can run without you, that can build wealth without you having to be in the trenches on a day-to-day basis. That's what I do for my clients every single day. I teach you how to live the exit lifestyle, how to do something I call exit without exiting, how you can set your business up where you embrace delegation the correct way, where you eliminate stress, where you establish the right systems and processes, And I teach you how to invest in people, how to hire the right people, how to go through that process. As a matter of fact, I just had to hire a new personal executive assistant and I followed my own process, was able to identify a perfect candidate. And I'm not even going to have a single business day between my assistants who's resigning and moving on and the new person coming in. These are things that I can show you so that you can get your business running. And the way I do this mostly is through a business accelerator live group coaching cohort. Uh, you can go to exitwithoutexiting.com to listen and read about it and watch a video about it, exitwithoutexiting.com. And for those of you that attended this, you get $500 off the regular price. The regular price is five grand. I've got it right now set down at 3,500 for the next uh, version that starts on July 7th. You can get $500 off by using the code EA510. So use the code EA510, you get 500 bucks off. It makes a $5,000 coaching program only $3,000 and it will change your life. Eight weeks and it will change your life. And it starts on July the 7th. So go to exitwithoutexiting.com and make sure you use that uh, code EA510. All right, so that's this today has been the Entrepreneur Master Series. Uh, thank you again to Jason Weiss for coming in, being a part of this. He's a phenomenal guy, good friend, great life insurance agent. So if you want to know how to do it, go check him out. Call him at the number that we provided, the 916-783-7900. And I'll see you at the next Entrepreneur Masters Series. Thank you for listening to this very special Entrepreneur Master Series edition of The Root of All Success. I hope that the expert in today's episode gave you some good information, some valuable information that you can begin using right now. Make sure that you reach out to them as we indicated in the episode. You don't want to miss out on getting access to someone as smart as that who can help you accelerate your path to success. And if you would like to register to attend the next Entrepreneur Master Series live webinar in person, go to my website at therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS, as in Entrepreneur Master Series. That way, you won't have to wait for me to occasionally release a special edition on the podcast. You can attend them live and in person.
Just go to therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS and sign up today. And by the way, they're completely free to attend and I conduct at least one or two of those per month. Tune in later this week when we go back to the regularly scheduled version of The Root of All Success when I interview yet another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. Until next time, I'm The Real Jason Duncan and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.